Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Miss Peyton got stung by a bee today. How did she get stung by a bee, you ask? Because I, when we were running miles, I mean laps, there was a honey, tiny honeybee, and I was like, oh, poor baby. And she picked it up. And then when somebody was, and then somebody was like, you're going to get stung, and I was like, no, stop it, it's my baby. <laughs> yeah. it's a bee. Yep, right. and then the bee stung her. And then they, and then they... My teacher and junior um, mm-hmm. jinxed me, so. I know. Can't be jinxing people, people. Gosh. Okay, last book. Stop people. The last book of the series of unfortunate events. I am not going to miss this book for a few months. I think we'll look back in a year and be like, that was a cool series, but I am ready for this series to be Finito Bandito. I am donezo bunzo. Yeah, and she got stung on her right hand, so little Bean doesn't have to do homework today. But don't get too excited because she's going to have double homework tomorrow, huh? I might not be able to do tomorrow. Then you're going to have triple work on Thursday. And then what if I can't? Then you're going to have to do it over the weekend, and you're going to have, like, a crummy weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, okay. A series of unfortunate events by... No, she doesn't like she didn't like the cue. Okay. Lemony Snicket. Like lemon with a Y at the end. Snicket. Book the thirteenth. The end. That's what the book's called. The end. It doesn't have a fancy schmancy name. Just the end. And you know what I need to do? I need to go back and I didn't realize that remember when Haley told us that there's a a letter for Beatrice in every, in the beginning of every book. Mm-hmm. We need to add that to all of them because I didn't know that. Okay. So maybe we'll add those to the episodes. <clears throat> for Beatrice, I cherished you. You perished. The world's been nightmarished. Okay. Romantic? Question mark? All right. The end. How interesting. The end is in the beginning of the book. It looks like it says the end. The end. But it's like the beginning. The end. Yeah, no, the name, not the actual end. Yeah, ding dong. And like, can I just say something rude? What, Mom? Um, the book version of Sunny Baudelaire. Like, not cute. Oh, yeah, it is true. I know. Movie version? Adorable. I'll adopt her. I'll keep her, adopt her, raise her as my own. Book version? I mean, I would still adopt her, but I'm just... Like... Mm. She looks like a toe. She looks like a boy. They make her look like a boy in a lot of them, that's all. Not that bo- boys look like toes, but... Yeah, no offense. Sunny Baudelaire does in the book. All right, moving on. Chapter one. If... Because get the beginning... The first word of every chapter has their italicized, so it's if. 
That's why I read it in my head. If you have ever peeled an onion, then you know that the first thin paper layer reveals another thin paper layer, and then that reveals another and another. Before you know it, you have hundreds of layers all over the kitchen table and thousands of tears in your eyes. Sorry that you ever started peeling it, peeling it in the first place. <sighs> and wishing that you had left the onion alone to wither away on the shelf of a pantry while you went on with your life, even if that meant that you'll never again enjoy the complicated and overwhelming taste of this strange bitter vegetable. In this way, the story of the Baudelaire orphans is like an onion. And if you insist on reading every thin paper layer in a series of unfortunate events, your only reward will be 170. Oh my gosh, we've we've read 170 chapters? That means we've done 170 episodes. Oh, yo, yo. Nope. Oh, we will do 170 episodes. No. What? Just not chapters, Mom. Not books. No, I know episodes from this from this oh, um, yeah. series. Yeah, because every episode, every chapter is an episode. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Like, nope. <laughs> Peyton's like, nope, I know more than you. Oh, you're my mom. You know more than me. Sometimes. Mom, okay. Mom, well, I mean, I said sometimes. Sometimes you know more than me. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I only knew that because that's what it said in the book. So, <laughs> I'll try it. Events your e- events your only reward would be a hundred and seventy chapters of misery in your library and countless tears in your eyes. Even if you have read the first twelve volumes of the Baudelaire story, it is not too late to stop peeling away the layers and put this book back on the shelf to wither away while you read something less complicated and overwhelming. The end of this unhappy chronicle is is like its bad beginning and each misfortune only reveals another and another and another and only those with the stomach for the strange and bitter tale should venture to any further (sighs) should venture any further into the Baudelaire onion. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that is how the story goes. The Baudelaire orphans would have been happy to see an onion had one come bobbing along the way as they traveled along across the vast empty sea in a boat the size of a large bed, but not nearly as comfortable. Had such a great vegetable appeared, Violet and the eldest Baudelaire would have tied their hair in a ribbon to keep it out of of her eyes. Violet is the oldest. Yeah. Violet, the eldest Baudelaire, would have tied her hair up. Sorry. Violet and the... You know what? I may have said that because, like, I'm human. So sue me, right? Up up her hair in a ribbon to keep it out of her eyes and in the moments... And in moments would have invented a device to retrieve the onion from the water. Klaus, the middle sibling, and the only boy would have remembered useful facts from the from one of the thousands of books that he had read and been able to identify <sighs> been able to identify come on which type of onion it was and whether or not it was edible and Sonny who was just scarcely out of babyhood would have sliced that onion into bit-sized pieces with her unusually sharp teeth and pulled out her newly developed cooking skills to use it in order to turn a simple onion into something quite tasty indeed. 
The elder Baudelaire could imagine their sisters announce their sister announcing, "So boys," which was her way of saying dinner is served. But the three children had not seen an onion, indeed, and they had not seen much of anything during their ocean voyage, which had begun when the Baudelaires had pushed the large wooden boat off of the roof of the hotel Dumont in order to escape the fire engulfing the hotel, as well as the authorities who wanted to arrest the children for arson and murder. Oh, we just added a little special guest and a family member in our podcast today. His name is Buddy. Buddy, Buddy, Buddy the dog, not Buddy the elf. <laughs> I give him a sock. Aww. Because it's like a sock. It's a toy that I made sure. for Max. Aww, that's so nice of you. Okay, cool. All right. The wind and tides had quickly pushed the boat away from the burning hotel, and by sunset, the hotel and all the other buildings in the city were distant and were a distant, faraway blur. Now, the following morning, the, on, the only things that the Baudelaires had seen were the quiet, still surfaces of the sea and the golden gloom of the sky. The weather reminded them of the day at Briny Beach when the Baudelaires had learned that the loss of their parents and their home in a terrible fire, and the children spent much of their time in silence thinking about that dreadful day and all of the dreadful days that had followed. It almost would have been peaceful to sit in a drifting boat and think about their lives had it not been for the Baudelaire's unpleasant companion. The, their companion's name was Count Olaf and it had been the Baudelaire's orphan's misfortune to be in this dreadful man's company since they had become orphans and had become and he had become their guardian. Buddy, no. Don't do that to the blanket. Olaf had hatched a scheme after had hatched scheme after scheme in an attempt to get his filthy hands on the enormous fortune of the Baudelaire's parents that they left behind. Although and although each scheme had failed, it appeared as if some of the villain's wickedness had rubbed off in the children. And knew, and now Olaf and the Baudelaires were all in the same boat. Both of the children and Count were responsible for a number of treacherous crimes, although at least the Baudelaire orphans had the decency to feel terrible about the situation. About, uh, ter- terrible about this, whereas Count Olaf had been doing this for the past few days and was bragging about it i've triumphed i've triumphed count olaf reiterated a word here which means announced for the umpteenth time he stood proudly at the front of the boat leaning against the carvings of an octopus attacking a man in a diving suit that served as the boat's figurehead you orphans thought that you could escape me but at last you're in my clutches yes olaf violet agreed wearily the eldest Baudelaire did not bother to point out that, as they were all alone in the middle of the ocean, it was just as accurate to say that Olaf was in the Baudelaire's clutches as it was to say that they were in his. Sighing, she gazed up at the tall mass of the boat, where a tattered sail drooped limply in the still air. For some time, Violet had been trying to invent a way for the boat to move even when it would, even when there wasn't any wind. But the only mechanical material on board was a pair of enormous spatulas that, from the Hotel de Numon's roof sunbathing salon. 
The children had been using these spatulas as oars, but rowing a boat is very hard work, particularly if one's traveling companions are too busy bragging to help, and Violet was trying to think of any way that they might move the boat faster. I've burned down the Hotel Denouement, Olaf cried, gesturing dramatically, and, and destroyed the VFD once and for all. So you keep telling us, Klaus muttered without looking up from his commonplace book. For quite some time, Klaus had been writing down the details of the Baudelaire situation in this dark blue notebook, including the facts that the Baudelaire's, not Olaf, who had burned down at the Hotel de Numan. VFD was a secret organization that the Baudelaire's had heard about during their travels, and as far as the middle Baudelaire knew, it had not been destroyed. Not quite, although quite a few VFD agents had been in the hotel when it was caught fire. At the moment, Klaus was examining his note, notes on VFD and the schism, which was enormous, which was an enormous fight involving all of its members and had something to do with the sugar bowl. The middle Baudelaire did not know what the sugar bowl contained, nor did he know what precise whereabouts of one of the organization's bravest agents, a woman named Kit Snicket, the child. Uh, blah, blah, blah. woman's bravest agent, a woman named Kit Snicket. The children had met Kit only once before she headed out to see herself, planning to meet up with the Quagmire triplets. Three friends and the Baudelaire's had not seen in quite some time who were traveling in a self-sustaining hot air home, hot air ho mobile home. Klaus was hoping that the notes in his commonplace book would help him figure out exactly where they might be if he studied them long enough. And the Baudelaire fortune is finally mine, Olaf cackled. Finally, I am a very wealthy man, which means everybody must do what I say. Beans, Sonny said. The youngest Baudelaire was no longer a baby, but she still talked in somewhat of an unusual way. And by beans, she meant something like, Count Olaf is spouting pure nonsense, and the Baudelaire fortune was not to be found in a large wooden boat, and so... He could not belong to anyone. But when Sunny said beans, she also meant one of the few things that the children had found on board was a on board the boat was a large clay jar with a rubber seal, which had been wedged underneath one of one of the boat's wooden benches. The jar was quite dusty and looked very old, but the seal was intact, a word here which means not broken. So the food stored inside was still edible. Sunny was grateful for the jar, as there was no other food to be found on board, but she couldn't help wishing that that it had contained something other than plain white beans. Is it it is possible to cook a number of delicious dishes with white <sighs> with white beans. And the Baudelaire's parents used to make cold salad of white beans, cherry tomatoes, and fresh basil all mixed together with lime juice, olive oil, and cayenne pepper, which was a delicious thing to eat on hot days. But without any other ingredients, Sunny had only been able to serve her, her boatmates handfuls of bland white mush, enough to keep them alive, but certainly not in which a young chef like herself would take pride in. Account as Count Olaf continued to brag, the youngest Baudelaire was peering into the jar, wondering what she could do to make something more interesting out of white beans and nothing else. I think the first thing I'll buy for myself is a shiny new car, Olaf said. Something with a powerful engine so I can drive faster than the legal limit and take extra thick 
bumper oh, and an extra thick bumper so I can ram into people without getting it all scratched up. I'll name that car Count Olaf after myself. And whenever people hear the squeals of a brake, they'll say, here comes Count Olaf. Orphans, head, to the, head for the nearest luxury car dealership. The Baudelaire's looked at one another. As I'm sure you know, it is unlikely for car dealerships to be found in the middle of the ocean. Although I've heard that a rickshaw salesman who does business in the grotto, or in a grotto hidden deep in the Caspian Sea, this is a very tiresome this is very tiresome to travel with someone who is constantly making demands, particularly demands that are utterly impossible things, and the children found that he could no longer hold their tongues, a phrase here which means keep from confronting Count Olaf about his foolishness. We can't head for a dealership, Violet said. We can't head anywhere. The wind has died out, and Klaus and I are exhausted from rowing. Laziness is no excuse, Olaf growled. I'm exhausted for all my, from all of my schemes, but you don't see me complaining. Furthermore, Klaus said, we have no idea where we are, and so we have no idea in which direction to go in. I know where we are, Olaf sneered. We're in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> okay, wow. wow. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Beans, Sonny said. I've had enough of your tasteless mush, Olaf snarled. It's worse it's worse than that salad your parents used to make. All in all, all you orphans are the worst henchmen I've ever acquired. We're not your henchmen, Olaf I mean Violet cried. We're sim we simply happen to be traveling together. I think you're forgetting who the captain is around here, Count Olaf said, and knocking the dirty knuckle against the boat's figurehead with one in his hand oh with his other hand he twirled the harpoon gun in a terrible weapon that had just one last sharp harpoon available for his treacherous use if you don't do what i say i'll break this open and you'll be doomed the bodelers looked at the figurehead in dismay inside the helmet were a few spores oh broke up yeah few spores of the of the medusoid mycelium a terrible fungus that could poison anyone who breathed it in and sunny would have perished from the mushroom's deadly power not so long ago had the baudelaires not managed to find a, a heaping a helping of wasabi a japanese condiment that diluted the poison you wouldn't dare release that medusoid mycelium klaus said hoping that he sounded more certain than it felt you'd be poisoned just as quickly as we would Equivalent Flatoria, Sonny said sternly to the villain. Our sister's right, said Violet. We're in the same boat, Olaf. The wind has died down. We have no idea which way to go, and we're running low on nourishment. In fact, without a destination, a way of navigating, and some fresh water, we're likely to perish in a matter of days. You might try and help us instead of ordering us around. Count Olaf glared at the eldest Baudelaire and then stalked off to the far end of the boat. You three figure a way to get us out of here, he said, and I'll work on changing the nameplate of the boat. I don't want my yacht calling the Carmelita anymore. The Baudelaires peered over the edge of the boat and noticed for the first time a nameplate attached to the rear of the boat with thick tape. On the nameplate was written in messy scrawl the, was the word Carmelita, presumably referring to Carmelita Spatz, a nasty young girl whom the Baudelaires had first encountered at a dreadful school they were forced to, to attend and who later had been more or less adopted by Count Olaf 
and his girlfriend Esme Squalor, whom the villain had abandoned. Genevieve Squalor. <laughs> yep, who had abandoned the ho- at the hotel. Putting down the harpoon gun, Count Olaf began to pick up the tape with his dirt encrusted fingernails. <laughs> I know, nasty. Peeling away the nameplate to reveal another name underneath. Although the Baudelaire's did not care about the name of the boat and what they called home, they were grateful that the villain had found something to do with his time so that... Th- we are we are doing a podcast. Do you mind? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're so grateful that the villain had found something to do with his time so they could spend a few minutes talking among themselves. What can we do? Violet whispered to her siblings. Do you think that we can catch some fish to eat, Sunny? The youngest Baudelaire shook her head. No bait. And no net. Deep sea dive? I don't think so, Klaus said. You shouldn't be swimming down there without a pro- without proper equipment. There are all sorts of sinister things you could encounter. The Baudelaire shivered, thinking of something that they had encountered on on a board, well, aboard a submarine called the Queequeg. All the children had seen was a curvy shape in the radar screen that resembled a question mark, but the captain in the submarine had told them that it was something even worse than Olaf himself. Klaus is right, Violet said. You shouldn't swim down there. Klaus, is is there anything in your notes that might lead us, lead us to the others? Klaus shut his commonplace book and shook his head. I'm afraid not, he said. Kit told us that she was going to contact Cap- Captain Wittershins and meet him at a certain clump of seaweed in a wait meet him at a certain clump of seaweed but if we didn't know exactly where that clump she meant was we don't know how to get there without a proper navigation or equipment i could probably make a compass violet said all i need is a small piece of magnetized metal a simple pivot and maybe maybe we aren't just maybe we shouldn't just join the other volunteers after all we've caused them a great deal of trouble that's true klaus admitted they might not be happy to see us, particularly if we had Count Olaf along. Sunny looked at the villain who was still s- scraping away the nameplate. Unless, she said, Violet and Klaus shared a nervous glance. Unless what? Violet asked. Sunny was silent for the moment and looked down at the concierge uniform she was still wearing from her time at the hotel. Push Olaf overboard, she whispered. The older, older bell... <laughs> Baudelaire's gasped, not just because of what Sunny had said, but because they could easily picture the treacherous act of Sunny that, that Sunny had described with Count Olaf. Why are you laughing? Because Sunny's like, let's push him overboard. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny because she's like, dude, forget this guy. Let's just push him off. Wait till he falls asleep. Let's like push him overboard. <laughs> it's funny. Yep, I like that kid. Oh, it's funny. With Count Olaf overboard, the Baudelaire's could still sail someplace without the villain's interference or his threats to release the medusoid mycelium. They they would be one fewer person with whom to share the remaining beans with. And if they ever reached Kit Snicket, the Quagmires and Kit Snicket and the Quagmires, they wouldn't have Olaf along. In an easy, in an uneasy silence, they turned their gaze to the back of the boat where Olaf was leaning over to peel the nameplate off. All three Baudelaire's could imagine how simple it would be just to push him. Oh my god. Just hard enough for the villain to lose his balance and topple into the water. Okay, they better get their arm strength going though, because they gotta start paddling. Olaf wouldn't hesitate to throw us overboard, Violet said so quietly that her 
her siblings could scarcely see hear her. If he didn't need us to sail off the boat, he'd toss us into the sea. VFD might he- might not hesitate either, Klaus said. Parents, and he said? I'm sorry, that's funny. The Baudelaire's had shared another uneasy glance. The children had recently learned that, uh, that another mysterious fact about their parents and their shadowy past, a rumor concerning their parents in a box of poison darts, Violet, Klaus, and Sunny, like all children, had o- had always wanted to believe the best of their parents, but as the time went on, they were less and less sure what the siblings needed was a compass, but not the sort of compass that Violet had mentioned. The eldest Baudelaire was talking about and the navigational compass in which the device that allows a person to tell you the proper direction to travel in the ocean. But the Baudelaire's needed a moral compass in which something inside of a person... Oh, the moral compass. Yeah. Instead of a, like your, like the thing like that, your, when your heart tells you what to do or where to go, like a, a moral compass, or perhaps in the heart that tells you the proper thing to do in a given situation, a navigational compass is any, as any good inventor knows is made oh, yeah. from a, sunny photo herb. I know it's funny. Uh, a navigational compass is any, as any good inventor knows, is made from a small piece of magnetized metal and a simple pivot, but the ingredients in a moral compass are not clear. Some believe that everyone is born with a moral compass already inside them, like an appendix or a fear of worms. Others believe that moral compasses develop over time as a person learns about the decisions of others by observing the world and reading books. In any case, a moral compass appears to be a delicate device, and as people grow older and venture out into the world, it oftentimes becomes more and more difficult to figure out which direction one's moral compass is pointing. So it's harder and harder to figure out the proper thing to do. When the Baudelaire's first encountered Olaf, their moral compass never would have told them to get rid of this terrible man, whether by pushing him out of the mysterious tower or by running him over with his long black automobile. But now, standing Jeez. in the, I know, standing on the Carmelita, the Baudelaire orphans were not sure what they should do with, with this villain who was learning so far, leaning so far over the boat that one small push could have sent him to the his watery grave. But as it happened, Violet, Klaus, and Sunny did not have, did not have to make this decision because that this instant, because. At this instant, with so many instances in the Baudelaire lives, the decision was made for them as Count Olaf straightened up and gave the children a triumphant grin. I'm a genius, he announced. I solved all of our problems. Look. The villain gestured behind them with one of those thick thumb, with one thick thumb, and the Baudelaire's peered over the edge of the boat as they saw the Carmelita nameplate had been removed, revealing a nameplate reading Count Olaf. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah, because he changed the E into an F. But, like, Carmelita, there's no O's. No, it doesn't show it on there. No, he, no, Mom, he removed the nameplate. Removed the name. Revealing a nameplate reading Count Olaf. Yeah, but, like, how do you just make it? How do you just make a nameplate out of nothing? I don't get it. Although, this nameplate, too, is attached with tape and it appeared that yet another nameplate was underneath this one. Remaining, uh, 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 renaming the boat doesn't solve any of our problems, Violet said wearily. Violet's right, Klaus said. We still need the 
we still need a destination, a way of navigating and some sort of nourishment. Unless, Sunny said, but Count Olaf interrupted the youngest Baudelaire with a sly chuckle. You three are all really quite slow-witted, the villain said. Look at the horizon, you fools, and see what is approaching. We don't need a destination or a way of navigating because we'll go wherever it takes us, and we're about to get more, more fresh water than we could ever drink in a lifetime. The Baudelaire's looked out at the sea and saw what Olaf, Olaf was talking about, spilling across the sky like an ink-staining ink precious document was an immense black bank of black clouds in the middle of the ocean. A fierce storm can arrive out of nowhere, and this storm promised to be very fierce indeed, and much fiercer than the Hurricane Herman, which had menaced the Baudelaire some time ago during a voyage across Lake Lacrimose that ended in tragedy. Already some children could see the thin, sharp lines of the rain falling from such distance away, here and there the clouds flickering with furious lightning. Isn't it wonderful, Count Olaf asked. His scraggly hair was already fluttering in, like fluttering, yeah, in the approaching wind. Over the villain's nefarious chuckle, the children could hear that the sound to hear the sound of the approaching thunder a storm like this is the answer to all of your whining all of your whining <laughs> what oh my god <sighs> okay. i might destroy that boat it might destroy the boat violet said looking nervously at the tattered sails a boat of this size is not designed to stand to withstand a heavy storm we have no idea where it will take us, Klaus said. We could end up further out from civilization. All aboard, Sunny said. Count Olaf looked over the horizon again and smiled at the storm as if it were an old friend coming to visit. Yes, those things might happen, he said with a wicked smile. But what are you going to do about it, orphans? The Baudelaire's followed the villain's gaze, out, the gaze to the storm it was difficult to believe that just moments ago the horizon had been empty and now this great black mass of rain of rain and wind was staining the sky as it drew closer and closer. Violet, Klaus, and Sunny couldn't do anything about it. An inventing mind, the notes the notes of a researcher and surprising adept cooking skills were no match for what was coming. The storm clouds furled wider and wider, and the layers of the onion peeling or sinister secret behind more and more mystery. Whatever their moral compass told them about the proper thing to do, the Baudelaire's knew that there was only one choice in the situation, and that was to do nothing as the storm engulfed the children and as the villains stood there together in the same boat. Okay, that's very smart. Well, I mean, like, where are they? Yeah, where are they? What's their plan? Oh, gosh.